Well, as you know, this summer we've been spending an extended amount of time in one text in the New Testament, the classic passage on spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And I trust that your heart and life has been encouraged and blessed and challenged and convicted and helped in practical ways by just being um, stirred up by way of reminder of this text. I know it's a very familiar text to most of us as believers, but perhaps there's been a a fresh awakening in your own heart and mind to want to uh, apply this text um, in in a new and, and a fresh way. And so we're going to look at, uh, at, look at it one more time this morning and uh, wrap up this summer series on the armor of God that we've been calling Battle Ready. And so let's reread this text, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And now for our text today. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." Father, it's appropriate that we begin with prayer, considering this text is about the priority of prayer and the uh, vital nature of prayer and the uh, essential role that prayer plays in our lives as believers. And, And so we come to you and we thank you that you have provided access to your throne of grace through your son, Jesus Christ. And we can come robed in his righteousness and appeal to you for grace and for mercy in our times of need and particularly our times of temptation. And so, Lord, as we uh, work our way through this text today, would your spirit be uh, working powerfully amongst us to open up our eyes to see new, wonderful things in your word and help us to put them into practice Uh, in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to introduce these familiar verses in which Paul emphasized the vital role that prayer plays in spiritual warfare, I want us to look together at one of the many teachable moments that Jesus capitalized on with his, his disciples. 
Turn with me back to Mark chapter 9, just for a moment. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And you may be familiar with this record of the time when the disciples were attempting to cast a demon out of a young boy, and they were unsuccessful. And this was right after the transfiguration of Christ, according to Mark, in Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. But let's pick up the story in verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, this is Jesus and James and John, um, when they came back to the disciples, or excuse me, Peter, James, and John, uh, who were given the privilege of seeing Christ unveil his glory uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when they went back, they saw a crowd around them, a large crowd, and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And again, this was a common occurrence in Jesus' day uh, when he would enter a, a town or, or a, a city. Uh, it, it seemed like the, the demons um, would, would come out of the woodwork and, uh, and they, would, they would appeal to him not to send, him, send them to, to, to the pit. They knew exactly who he was. And so his, just his mere presence would flush out uh, the demonic presence in, 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 in towns and cities and in, in, in families and in individuals. And Jesus answered and he said to them, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into, a terrible, into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. When he came into the house, the disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And don't miss Jesus' response in verse 29. And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. This story, I don't think, is here for us to be necessarily... Um, mesmerized by the whole concept of demon possession and what it's like to be possessed by a demon and who can be possessed by a demon and how do you cast out a demon. 
I think this story is simply a helpful reminder of the power of prayer when it comes to engaging in spiritual warfare. And the disciples had engaged the enemy but were unsuccessful because they had neglected to pray. And so Jesus asserted here that prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have in the battle against Satan and his forces. That is also the most underutilized weapon, which is why we so often give in to temptation and sin rather than standing firm whenever they attack us. And I think that's why Paul made sure to emphasize the importance of prayer as he concluded his instruction on spiritual warfare here in Ephesians chapter six. And if you remember from uh, two months ago when we started this series and began wading into this text, I said that Paul is like a seasoned war-hardened general briefing his troops for battle. And he laid out a strategy involving four tactics for standing firm against the attacks of Satan and his forces. The first tactic was to solely rely on your commander. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Secondly, you need to wisely know your enemy so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then thirdly, you need to regularly wear your protective gear. And of course, that's verses 13 through 17, and we spent uh, all summer in our summer super study unpacking these six pieces of armor based on the armor of a Roman soldier. But there's one more tactic that is essential to standing firm against Satan. And despite all that we know about Satan and all that we have been given to us by God to defeat him, we will still fail to triumph over Satan if we do not cry out to God for help. And the picture that Paul painted here is of a, of a soldier suited for battle with, with his sword drawn, courageously standing his ground as the enemy rushes toward him. But then that soldier does something totally unexpected that, that, that throws off the enemy, that totally baffles their opponent. He falls to his knees in prayer. And the enemy's like, what do we do now? <laughs> uh, we knew what to do when the guy was standing there with a sword, attack him. But, but then he falls down on his knees in prayer. And I think Paul's point is that we must get suited up for battle, yes, but then we must fight in total dependence on God's power through prayer. And prayer is how we demonstrate our dependence on God. And when we pray, what we're doing is we're admitting our weakness, our utter helplessness apart from God. We're, we're saying, God, I can't live without you. I can't make it without you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I desperately need your wisdom and your strength and your power to endure this trial or to resist this temptation. 
In other words, our, our confidence is not so much in the armor of God, but in the God of the armor. Because ultimately, he is the one who gives it to us, and he grants us success in the battle. And so our fourth tactic here, we could say it this way, that we need to vigilantly fight on our knees. We need to vigilantly fight on our knees. Notice, first of all, there's no break between verses 17 and 18. He goes straight from talking about the armor into a discussion on prayer. He says, with all prayer and petition, with, literally by means of, or in other words, the way that we put on this armor, the way we take up these things, when we take up the shield and we take up the helmet and we take up the sword, how do we do that? We do it with prayer. This is the, prayer is the instrument that's used to put on this protective gear. It's through prayer that we receive the power to wear the armor and to wield the sword. And so while I've titled this message, Our Secret Weapon, prayer is actually not another weapon, but it's the atmosphere in which the Christian soldier must live and breathe. We must maintain a prayerful attitude at all times. We should don our armor and meet our enemy in a spirit of prayerful dependence upon God. Prayer should permeate our entire lives. Notice he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit, with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You see the emphasis? Four times he uses the word all there, to, to, to show the all-encompassing nature of prayer as it relates to a believer's battle against Satan. And I think we could all say that we pray some of the time with some kinds of prayers, with some degree of perseverance for some of the saints. But Paul was exhorting his readers to take their prayer life to a whole new level. And he was showing us how to access the power of God through prayer, how to, how to utilize prayer to its fullest potential in order to prevail against Satan and his minions. And so I think his teaching here could be broken up into two simple sections. Verse 18 is the instruction, and then verses 19 and 20 are the illustration where he gives us a, an opportunity to put it into practice. What does it look like? So let's look first of all at the instruction in verse 18. And here Paul described five elements of a powerful, pervasive, prevailing prayer life. Five elements of a powerful, pervasive, prevailing prayer life in order to, to maximize the, the, the level of power in our fight against Satan, these five things must characterize our prayer life. Number one, variety. Variety. Notice he says, with all prayer and petition. Paul was not being redundant here. He was referring to both general prayers, prayer, and prayers for specific needs, problems, or situations, petitions. 
And I think this is good for us to remember because some, some of our prayer lives consist of just one thing, asking for stuff. That, that's what a lot of people's prayer life, if you ask them, that's all it is. They, they need to do one thing. They're always just asking for stuff. Which if that's your prayer life, sorry to have to break it to you, but that is a weak prayer life. You have a weak prayer life if all you're ever using prayer for is, is to get something from God. There's there so much more to prayer than just asking God for things. There are many other elements of prayer that we need to learn how to use effectively like praise and adoration and thanksgiving and confession and intercession and supplication. Some of you have probably heard of that acrostic acts, um, kind of a model to follow when you pray. A stands for adoration. C stands for confession. T stands for thanksgiving. And S stands for supplication. And so as you go before the Lord on a daily basis, that's a, a flow of thought that you can follow. That you begin by, before asking him any, for anything, you just simply praise him for who he is. And then as you praise God and see him in all of his glory, naturally you are reminded of your sinfulness. And so you begin to confess your sin to him and seek his forgiveness. And then which flows into a heart of thanksgiving. Thank you for forgiving me and thank you for all of your blessings and thank you for my salvation and thank you for the gospel. And then you finally get around at the end to making supplication, to begin making your requests for yourself and for others. And so Paul was encouraging us here, I think, to utilize a variety of prayers that, that God has placed at our disposal. And if we want to experience maximum prayer power, we must maintain a well-balanced prayer life. A second element of a powerful prayer life is frequency. Notice is with all prayer and petition... Pray at all times. Pray at all times, not just when you wake up in the morning, not just when you have a meal, not just when you go to bed at night, not just every once in a while, not just when you're in a bind or you're faced with some difficulty or crisis. I think too many of us treat prayer like a spare tire. I don't know about you, but as I'm driving down the road every day, I'm never thinking about my spare tire until I get a flat tire. And then that's the first thing that comes to my mind, and I go back there hoping that thing's aired up and ready to go. And, and sometimes that's, that's our Christians. We, we don't even give thought to God throughout the day. We just go about our day, and as long as, everything's, as long as we're cruising down the road and everything's working fine, we're good. And then all of a sudden, boom, something comes, and oh, we think about God. Instead of doing what the scripture talks about, praying without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul instructed us to constantly in, be, be in prayer so that Satan can never launch a surprise attack or, or catch us off guard. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 55, verse 16. This is David as for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. By the way, that's 
was David's way of talking about praying, was complaining and murmuring before the Lord. But he did it morning, noon, and night. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me, for there are many who strive with me. God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from of old with whom there is no change. Again, this whole idea of praying at all times, I don't think the, Paul was implying that we should walk around bumping into everything because we're constantly got our eyes closed and we're trying to go through life in a spirit of prayer. He was just simply teaching us to, that, 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 that prayer should just be a normal, natural part of our everyday lives, that, that we do it without even thinking. It's like breathing. Do you, are you thinking about breathing right now or is it just happening? You're just doing it, right? You didn't wake up this morning and go, oh, okay, I gotta breathe. Okay, go. You just, you just do it. It's just natural. And that's the way prayer should be, that we should be, we should be able to pray anytime, anywhere, whether you're sitting down or standing up or lying down or, 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 or early in the morning or late at night or at your lunch break or when you're out walking or driving or mowing the yard and, again, with your eyes opened or your eyes closed or out loud, you can pray out loud or silently in your thoughts. I like how John MacArthur describes this, this whole idea of praying at all times. He said this, quote, to pray at all times is to live in continual God consciousness where everything we see and experience becomes a kind of prayer. Lived in deep awareness of and surrender to our Heavenly Father. To obey his exhortation means that when we are tempted, we hold the temptation before God and ask for his help. When we experience something good and beautiful, we immediately thank the Lord for it. When we see evil around us, we pray that God will make it right and be willing to be used of him to that end. When we meet someone who does not know Christ, we pray for God to draw that person to himself and to use us to be a faithful witness. When we encounter trouble, we turn to God as our deliverer. In other words, our life becomes a continually ascending prayer, a perpetual communing with our Heavenly Father. So in order to be always ready to, to ward off Satan's attack, we must, we must be praying all the time. And so there's variety, there's frequency, and then thirdly is dependency. Our prayers must be marked by dependency. Notice he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit rather than in the flesh. In other words, our prayers should be prompted and directed by the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on him to assist us and, and guide us as we pray. And this is in line with the biblical pattern of prayer in that we pray to the Father in the name of the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jude 20 actually says that we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. You, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy face, praying in the Holy Spirit. And then you may remember in Romans chapter 8, we just uh, recently completed our study of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings 
Too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And this, is the, this, this reveals the, the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit. We, we know and love and appreciate the intercessory ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He intercedes for us before the throne of God. But we have a second intercessor, and that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ intercedes to affirm us before God and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us to assist us as we go before the Lord. And I think what Paul was getting at there in Romans 8 is that sometimes our hearts are just so burdened by something, we don't even know what to pray or how to pray and words elude us, but the Spirit comes alongside us and helps carry the load by praying for us. One of the most helpful little books that I've ever read on prayer is called The Hidden Life of Prayer by David McIntyre. I highly, highly recommend you finding a copy. You don't want to write that down. The Hidden Life of Prayer by David McIntyre. This is what he said about the, the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer. He said, without the support of the Holy Spirit, prayer becomes a matter of incredible difficulty. This helping of the Spirit is as a man taking up a heavy piece of timber by the one end cannot alone get it up till some other man takes it up at the other end and so, and so helps him. So the poor soul that is pulling and tugging with his own heart, he finds it heavy and dull like a log in a ditch and he can do not good with it till at last the Spirit of God comes at the other end and takes the heaviest end of the burden and so helps the soul to lift it up. What a great analogy, right? You ever try to move a big old log by yourself? Like you try to pick up one end and you're just kind of dragging it along and it's like really hard to do, but it's really helpful. Hey, come on over here, grab the other end. Let's move this together. You lift it up and move it. And maybe the reason why you struggle so much in prayer is because you're trying to do it in your own strength without the help, without the assistance of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. McIntyre goes on to say this, quote, let us ask for a fresh gift of the Holy Spirit to quicken our sluggish hearts. He says the Spirit will help our infirmities and the very compassion of the Son of God will fall upon us, clothing us with zeal as with a garment, stirring our affections into a most vehement flame and filling our souls with heaven. So true power is drawn from those prayers that are prompted and directed and controlled by the Holy Spirit. So dependency. Fourthly is persistency. Persistency. Notice he goes on with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. Be on the alert, stay awake. Lie sleepless, literally, to be vigilant. And of course, our minds should naturally go back to the garden on the night that Christ was arrested and he was there in the garden with his disciples and I believe that was when Christ was facing his final most intense temptation by Satan in the garden to, to, to boycott 
the plan of God in his humanness. He went before the Father in prayer and said, Lord, is there any other way? And in his humanness, Christ did not want to go through with this because he knew what it would mean to die on that cross. He would be separated from his Father. But in his humanness, he relied on prayer as the means to overcome Satan's temptation there in the garden and multiple times, in fact, three times, he went away by himself and prayed. And if you remember, in the midst of his own fervent and persistent prayers, he came back and found the disciples doing what? Sleeping. After he'd asked them to pray three times, pray with me. In fact, specifically, he said this in Matthew 26, 41, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. They were sleeping when they should have been praying, which resulted in them being defeated by Satan. They, they gave into temptation, and when the, the soldiers came, what did they do? They fled. Thomas Watson said the, the greatest antidote against temptation is prayer. But notice he says, be on the alert with all perseverance, which means to, to, to remain at something, to keep at something, to patiently endure, to stick to it, to not quit. And it's very common that for us, when we get tired, we get discouraged, we feel like giving up in the fight, that's when we need to keep on praying. Even when the answer is long in coming, how long, O oh Lord, the psalmist would cry out to the Lord, how long, O oh Lord, but he, at least he was still crying out. And usually it's at that moment when we're ready to quit, when God chooses to answer our prayers. And we experience the relief or the breakthrough for which we've been hoping and, and praying for. There's a couple of parables in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 11, there's the story of the persistent friend. Uh, Luke 18, the persistent widow. Again, examples of how we should be persistent in our prayers, going before the one who has the power uh, to, to provide or protect us. And, and both of those are illustrations of how we need to continue to be persevering and persistent in our prayers before the Lord. George Mueller, uh, well known for his orphan ministry there in Germany uh, back in the day, he said the great point is to never give up until that answer comes. The great fault of the children of God is that they do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. And he went on to say this, quote, let no man think that he can have any measure of victory over his inner corruption without taking it to the Lord again and again in prayer. And you're like, why, why, why can't I just overcome this inner corruption? Well, perhaps it's because you haven't prayed long and hard enough about it. And perhaps God 
allows that to remain in your life to teach you what it means to persevere in prayer. Someone gave me a, a copy of a, a, a new book and I hadn't seen about the armor of God and I was so thankful to get it last week and I was like, oh, I wish I had this, you know, at the beginning of the series, but I began to read it this week and, and, and there was a, 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 a footnote. It's often, oftentimes the footnotes that, like, you read something down in the little small print you can barely read that really jumps out at you. And there was a book by John Newton that this author quoted. And if I remember correctly, the name of the book was The Benefits of Remaining Sin. I'm thinking about that. I want to preach about that. That's a profound thought. The benefit, what? There, there's benefits that, to, to remaining sin in my life? Stay tuned for that message because I got to process that a little bit more. But all I know is it jumped out at me and was like so encouraging. Like, wow, that's a profound thought. And one of the benefits of remaining sin is it, 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 puts, us, it puts us on our knees. It, it, it helps us grow in, in, in faithfulness and prayer. And so to prevail against Satan through prayer, we must be persistent. And then lastly, number five is mutuality. Mutuality, notice he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. What a great reminder that we are not the only ones involved in the war. We share a common bond with all other believers all over the world. We are soldiers of Jesus Christ. We're part of this one great army fighting side by side against this common enemy, the enemy of our soul. And so consequently, we must be mutually committed to supporting one another by interceding on each other's behalf. It's like laying down cover fire. Like, cover me, I'm going in, right? And, and so somebody just right, lays down cover fire while you, you get to higher ground. You get to that, that strategic position you want to get to. But somebody's got to be there and have your back. And we do that through prayer. Again, the point is this, we're, we're all in this thing together. And the success of one is the success of all, and the defeat of one is the defeat of all. And that's why we need others to support us in prayer, our survival depends on it. Listen, someone else's spiritual victory or defeat may depend on our prayers for them. And likewise, our spiritual victory or defeat may depend on someone else's prayers for us. I have two buddies that I made serving in the student ministries at a Grace Community Church years ago. I still am good friends with these guys today. But I'll never forget their relationship that they modeled for us while we were all young, kind of interns, kind of cutting our teeth on ministry and learning theology together. And, and, and these two guys, they lived together uh, in the same apartment, and they had made a pact with one another 
that whenever either one of them was tempted to sin, they would call the other one and ask them to pray for them. What a great example. And that kind of set the, set the tone in our office that, that we wanted to be there for one another. And, and, and if, you, if, you, if you blow it, if you get tempted and you blow it, in, in some ways it's your own fault because you didn't reach out for help. Hey, I need, you know, those, if you're a gamer in here, man, I need an airdrop right now. Bring it down. I need a, a, a new, a fresh weapon or I need some, you know, fresh energy boost or something. And so you, you, you reach out to somebody and say, hey, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm really being tempted right now. Would you please pray for me? Or I'm really struggling right now in my marriage, or I'm really struggling right now with my purity, or I'm really struggling right now with my contentment, or I'm really struggling with this or that. Would you please pray for me? You know, I think this aspect of intercessory prayer is very underrated in our thinking as Christians. And I think every once in a while it's good to be reminded of the power of intercessory prayer. I told you one of the resources I've been using is this book called The Invisible War, What Every Believer Needs to Know About Satan, Demons, and Spiritual Warfare by Chip Ingram. It's a really helpful resource. I would recommend it if you want to go deeper into this subject. But I want to just read for you a true story that he included in this book that uh, you may kind of listen to this story and kind of scratch your head and go, "Mm, really? But I'm just saying, okay? The missionary was serving as a medic in Africa. Periodically, he had to travel by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. It was a two-day trip, so he would camp in the jungle overnight. He had always made the trip without incident, but one day when he arrived in the city, he saw two men fighting. One was seriously hurt, so he treated the man, shared Christ with him, and went on his way. The next time the missionary traveled to the city, the man he had treated approached him. He said, I know you carry money and medicine, the man said to the missionary. Some friends and I followed you into the jungle that night after you treated me, knowing that you'd have to sleep in the jungle alone. We waited for you to go to sleep, planning to kill you and take your money and drugs. As we started to move into the campsite, we saw 26 armed guards surrounding you. There were only six of us, so we knew we couldn't possibly get near, and we left. When he heard this, the missionary laughed. (laughs) That's impossible. I assure you, I was alone in the campsite. But the young man pressed the point. He said, no, sir, I wasn't the only one who saw the guards. My friends saw them too, and we all counted them, all 26. Several months later, the missionary attended his home church in Michigan and told of his experience. A man in the congregation interrupted his presentation by jumping to his feet and saying something that left everyone in the church stunned. He said, with a firm voice, we were with you In spirit, the missionary looked perplexed. The man continued, on that night in Africa, it was morning here. I stopped by the church to get some materials for a ministry trip. But as I was putting my bags in my trunk, I felt the Lord leading me to pray for you. It was an extremely strong urge, so I got on the phone and gathered some other men to come to church and pray for you. Then the man turned to the rest of the congregation And he said, will all of those men who prayed with me that day stand up right now 
And one by one, they stood up, all 26 of them. Wow. That's more than just a a fascinating story. That's the power of intercessory prayer. And is it not what we've been learning? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a spirit realm that we know very little about. But if nothing else, that story, I read that not just so you could have something to talk about over lunch today, but that it would motivate you to want to intercede. And when the Spirit of God brings someone to mind, someone in your family, someone in our church or some, one of our missionaries or a friend who lives in a distant place or whatever, pray for them. There's a reason the Spirit of God is bringing them to your mind. Pray for them. And God can use you to impact their lives and their ministries. If we want our prayers for other believers to be as powerful and effective as possible, we need to be aware of their spiritual needs. So seek out your spouse, seek out your kids, seek out your parents, your brothers, your sisters, um, your friends, the people in your, in your grow group, and ask them, hey, how can I pray specifically for you? Well, what battles are you fighting right now? that I can hold you up in prayer. One commentator said this, the context of Paul's prayer, or Paul's call to prayer, is that of spiritual warfare, and the Christian's prayer should above all be about that warfare. Our greatest concern for ourselves and for other believers should be for victory in the battle against the great enemy of our souls. Our deepest prayers for our spouse, our children, our brothers and sisters, our fellow church members, our pastor, our missionaries, and all others would be that they win the spiritual battle against Satan, end quote. How do we do that? Well, we pray in a way that's marked by variety and frequency and dependency and persistency and mutuality. And that, those are the kinds of prayer, that's the kind of prayer that overpowers Satan every time. And if you want to prevail against Satan, you need to learn to pray like this. That's the instruction. Now let's look quickly at the illustration. Notice verse 19. And pray on my behalf. He just got done saying, to be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and that includes me, Paul said. Don't forget me. And so Paul exhorted here the Ephesians to pray, not just generally for all the saints, but specifically for him. Why? Because he realized he was one of Satan's prime targets. And Satan reserves his greatest deceptions and, 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 and seductions and most vicious attacks for those in positions of spiritual leadership, those who are on the front lines of the gospel, if you will. And he takes aim at, at those who pose the greatest threat to his work, and Paul was rescuing people from the dominion of Satan. That's how he described his ministry in, in Acts chapter 26, or 28, excuse me. And so Paul knew that he had this big bullseye painted on his back. And Satan thought he had succeeded in taking Paul out 
of combat by causing him to be imprisoned. He was under house arrest in Rome. Uh, Ephesians is what we refer to as a prison epistle. It was written from uh, prison in Rome. But that whole thing backfired because uh, according to the book of Philippians, God had opened up tremendous opportunities for Paul to witness to Roman guards, to members of Caesar's household, along with everyone else who, who came and went as they visited him while he was under house arrest. And so Paul wanted to make the most of this opportunity that the Lord had given him there in Rome. And so he says, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So he's calling for prayer support. He's like, hey, cover me. Back me up which he regularly did, by the way. 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. Brethren, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it is also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. For not all have faith. This is so encouraging. This is the... This is the and, and by the way, and humbling. This is the seasoned, war-hearted general, the Apostle Paul, acknowledging his weakness, admitting his dependence on the prayers of others. He was attributing his success to the power of prayer. Someone once asked C.H. Spurgeon, hey, why, what do you attribute your success to? And he immediately responded, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. So Paul says, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. In other words, grant me the words to say and the courage to say them. You're like, hey, this is, this is Paul who always seemed to know the right thing to say and wasn't afraid of anyone or anything and yet he realized it was only by the grace of God that he would be able to communicate the mystery of the gospel with clarity and courage. And so he was seeking help from these believers in Ephesus because he was preparing to defend himself before Caesar himself against the charges that his fellow Jews had brought against him. But more importantly, he wanted to clearly and courageously defend the gospel message for which he'd been in prison. Notice he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. In proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Notice, Paul didn't ask them to pray that he would be released from prison. That's probably what I would pray. Hey, hey you guys mind praying that I get released? That'd be really nice. Make my life a little easier, a little more comfortable. No, he says, that, that wasn't on his mind. He wasn't asking them to pray for his release. He, was, he, he, he didn't want freedom from prison. He wanted freedom to preach. Give me opportunities to preach the gospel. And so Paul has made it clear here in this passage that the only way we'll prevail against Satan is through the power of prayer. The more powerful, or excuse me, the more, the more prayerful we are, the more powerful we will be 
in our battle against Satan, sin, and temptation. You've heard the old adage, no prayer, no power, little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. You choose. How much power do you want to have? Depends on how much you pray. And by the way, that's why Satan does everything in his power to disrupt our prayer life. You ever wondered why you get so distracted when you pray? Maybe you fall asleep when you pray. Or maybe you're just flat out too busy to pray. You never have time to get around to praying. And you, you, you may have thought, well, that's just because I'm, I'm, I'm weak and I'm undisciplined. And, and that may be true. That may be part of it. But from the very beginning of military warfare, communication often holds the key to victory. Communication is one of the the most strategic elements in conducting a a successful military operation. And that's why during wartime, both sides are always trying to intercept one another's communication and decipher each other's communication, or best of all, knock it out altogether. And if they can cut off communication between the troops and headquarters, you've virtually won the battle. And so applied to our situation, life is war and prayer is like our walkie-talkie by which we stay in contact with headquarters. And the key to having consistent victory over Satan is to remain in constant communication with our commanding officer. That's why there's nothing Satan fears more than a praying Christian. But he knows that if if he can cut off our communication with God, it's only a matter of time before he defeats us. And I think the defeated life of many of us can be traced back to prayerlessness. So, let me be practical really quick. You may see this written out on the bottom of your notes for today. But just really quick, six P's, if you will, of powerful prayer. Just, just reminders, things where, I don't know, your prayer life might be soup, going super well right now. Or, or maybe you would be humble enough to admit that your prayer life stinks right now. <laughs> or it's maybe non-existent. What do you do? Let me give you just some practical steps here. Number one, prime time. Just, just put it in your daily schedule. Say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to schedule a time in my day where I'm going to spend some time in the Lord with prayer. Obviously, we should be praying all the time, right? But it's helped say, I'm going to set apart this, these five minutes, these 10 minutes, and I'm going to make sure it's the, the prime time of my day. It's the, the priority of my day. I'm going to put God first, prayer first. Secondly, find a place. Find a quiet place where you can have that time of prayer. Maybe it's the same place every day. It's the, just the place. Jesus said, go to the closet. Go find a quiet place, right, where, where no one else uh, sees you or knows that you're doing. This is just between you and the Lord, so find that place. Third is posture. Choose an appropriate posture. Sometimes it may be, hey, I'm going to do it while I'm out on my walk. I'm going to take a morning prayer walk, or, or uh, I'm going to do it on my drive to work, or 
um, I'm going to be in my closet, on my face, literally prostrate before the Lord. I'm going to be kneeling by my bed, whatever, find a posture, and then come up with a plan, follow a, a, some kind of format. I already mentioned the Acts acrostic. I personally prefer pray. It's easy to remember, pray. P-R-A-Y. P stands for praise. Start with a time of praise. R stands for repentance. Spend some time confessing your sin and repenting of it. A stands for ask. Ask the Lord for the things that, that, that you have need of. And then the Y stands for yield. What a great way to end. I always try to end my times of prayer by just yielding myself to the Lord for his service that day. Lord, here I am. Use me for your glory. It may be helpful to, to use a prayer list, some detailed list of what you're going to pray for instead of just, you know, that helps with your mind wandering all over the place, right? Getting distracted is having something that you can follow. Write down, pr- use a prayer journal perhaps where you can keep track of your requests and the answers to those requests. And then finally, persevere. Persevere, just, just hang in there and keep at it. And you may, you may fail, you have, may have setbacks and you may miss a day or two, but that's all right, get right back in it and, and discipline yourself until it becomes a habit. We began by looking at a teachable moment that Jesus had with his disciples. I want to end by looking at one other teachable moment that Jesus had when his disciples asked him to teach them to pray. Remember this in Matthew chapter six? They saw something about his prayer life that was unlike theirs and they wanted to learn to pray like him and he said, Lord, teach us. They said, Lord, teach us to pray and so he said, when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, this was not meant to be some, a prayer that we recite every day, the Lord's Prayer It was more a formula or a format or a pattern for us to follow. And one of the things that we should pray about on a regular basis is is we should pray for God's protection as we live and minister in a sinful world filled with all sorts of temptations. And so Jesus was teaching us here to ask God to keep us from wandering into paths where we'll face temptation, to keep us out of situations where our, our faith might fail or falter, to, to help us not to succumb to Satan's temptations, to, to, to acknowledge how likely it is that apart from his grace, we are gonna sin So we express our trust in him to be faithful to his promise to never allow us to be tempted beyond what we're we're able but with every temptation provide a way of escape so we can endure it. And so when you find yourself facing temptation don't don't just grit your teeth and try to muscle up and you know stand firm. No, cry out to God in prayer. Every time we're tempted is an opportunity to pray. And essentially what we're saying is, Daddy, right, our Father who's in heaven, Abba, Dad, I'm no match for Satan. I desperately need you to protect me from this big bully who's always trying to beat up on me. Deliver me from the dangers of sin and temptation. 
because you know how weak and vulnerable I am, and without your help, I'm going to give in to temptation today. So would you please help me? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And while you're crying out to God in prayer, don't forget that Jesus is crying out for you in prayer as well. Remember Luke 22, when Jesus said to Peter, hey, Peter, just want you to know, Satan has asked me if he could sift you, test you like wheat. It's Luke chapter 22, verse 31. He says, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So this was a, a great example, a great illustration that Jesus serves as our advocate before the Father. He is constantly interceding for us. Romans 8, Hebrews 7. And this should give us great confidence and great hope as we go before God in prayer to find mercy and grace in our times of temptation that Jesus is praying for us. When, 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 when Satan is tempting us, Jesus is praying for us. What an encouragement that should be to our souls. I want to close in prayer, so if you would just bow your heads with me. And I'm going to read a prayer from the Valley of Vision, which I think is an appropriate concluding prayer for our series. It's titled The Servant in Battle. And so just pray along with me the words of this Puritan. O Lord, I bless thee that the issue of the battle between thyself and Satan has never been uncertain and will end in victory. Calvary broke the dragon's head and I contend with a vanquished foe who with all his subtlety and strength has already been overcome. When I feel the serpent at my heel, may I remember him whose heel was bruised, but who, when bruised, broke the devil's head. My soul with inward joy extols the mighty conqueror. Heal me of any wounds received in the great conflict. If I have gathered defilement, if my faith has suffered damage, if my hope is less than bright, if my love is not fervent, if some creature comfort occupies my heart, if my soul sinks under pressure of the fight. O thou whose every promise is balm, every touch life, draw near to thy weary warrior. Refresh me that I may rise again to wage the strife and never tire until my enemy is trodden down. Give me such fellowship with thee that I may defy Satan, unbelief, the flesh, the world, with delight that comes not from a creature and which a creature cannot mar. Give me a drought of the eternal fountain that lieth in thy immutable everlasting love and decree. Then shall my hand never weaken, my feet never stumble, my sword never rest, my shield never rust, my helmet never shatter, my breastplate never fall, as my strength rests in the power of thy might. God, we are so grateful that you've not left us here to battle Satan and the world and our flesh in our own strength by ourselves 
but you have given us this holy armor. You've given us access to you through prayer. And ultimately, you've given us the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who exemplified all of these things during his life here on this earth, showing us what it looks like to live in total dependence upon you through prayer. Um, And so, Lord, would you help us to be more like Jesus and to let him be our focus rather than ourselves, that we wouldn't go out of here today just with another list of things to do, but reminded at the great love that you have for us in Christ and uh, the great support and help that you desire to offer us as we cling to you and as we um, seek your face and, and rely upon you on a daily basis. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen.